Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks Podcast. We've got a great guest in store for you guys. John, how's it going, my man? I am excellent as always. Had some amazing breakfast tacos this morning, so that has set the day off in the right direction. Yeah, courtesy of our friend Joey. Thanks, Joey. If you listen to our podcast, my friend, thanks for the breakfast tacos this morning. We need the fuel to get the day going right because we've got a lot on our plate this morning. But we've got an incredible guest for you guys, or she, Herbine. I'm hoping I'm doing it justice. She's a partner at Brand3. She knows if you don't have a clear message and image, you could be wasting as much of 80% of your marketing budget. She is here with some actionable ways to help business owners rethink marketing and to stop wasting time and money and accelerate business growth with her unique perspective as a visual problem solver. Or she is a great asset to have with us. Or she, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we are super excited. I mean, obviously, we're all in the line of business of marketing. Our audience out there, our business owners, who are obviously looking for every way to maximize their marketing budgets. You know, it can be expensive to do marketing, especially just kind of depending on what business you're in and industry you're in. But before we jump, you know, kind of deep dive into that, let's kick this thing off with an icebreaker. Let's kick it. Ice icebreaker. All right, here's the icebreaker for you, Orshi. What is a recipe you make that always reminds you of home? Oh, that's so easy. All right, bring it on. My American husband, because I'm originally from Hungary, would bring out the iron kettle and a tripod, light a fire outside, and they make Hungarian paprikash crumply over the fire outside. Ooh, so talk to us about that, because like I've never, I don't even know what that means. So what, what is that? Well, what you need to know about Hungarian food, according to my husband, like <laughs> let me just break it down how he sees it. It's like whatever it is, just smother it in paprika and put a slice of bread next to it, and you'll be good. <laughs> but nice. all Hungarian food starts with like very simply and very much the same. It's like you cut up your onions. You render some fat either from bacon or, or any kind of meat or just use butter or oil. And then so we, we have this kettle over the fire and you throw in your oil, you throw in your onions until they glaze like nice and mm-hmm. clear. Nice. And you yep. get your meat in there, your salt and pepper, your crapped and paprika and potatoes. And then you fill it up with water just until it's covered. You close it and then you let it simmer until everything cooks and then kind of reduces so it's thicker mm-hmm. yeah and then you don't need anything thickening because the potatoes will do the job right yeah for sure a lot of that starch yeah. Yeah. yeah and then you serve it with like sour cream everything sour all right onions and paprika i think i get down with that that's not so it's kind of yeah. like a, a little bit yeah. like a stew yeah but with some okay all right, I'm I'm down with that. Uh, it kind of sounds like you, gumbo to me. Replace the paprika yeah, with cayenne, kind of, and we got yeah. Cajun cooking. So I think I'm in. <laughs> right. I'm about it. I'm about it. John, what is your cooking it and it goes to home for you? Man, I'm gonna have to go with chicken fried steak. I think because it's oh, like one of my yeah, first favorites, and it's always a comfort food no matter what. And it's not really good for you. It has to just be a comfort food. So <laughs> that's right. I think chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, green beans. It's a good meal right there. Yeah, for sure. That was the, honestly, that was the first meal that came into my head because like, 
anything my mom made with like mashed potatoes and like a yeah. green bean. So like meatloaf or something like that was always mm -hmm. good. But like, I think another favorite for me would probably be chicken and dumplings, oh. you know, good chip, chicken and dumplings, you know, that is like, a staple. that's nice. That's a staple too. So that's a, that's a good one. I did not like chicken and dumplings until my wife made it for me, actually. Really? Really. My whole life growing up, I never really liked it. And then my wife made it. And I, I don't know if I just like her recipe best. That's what I'm going to say for now. Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> well, our intern, Rosie, who helps us put together our show outline, she actually left us with her recipe. Oh. Hers would be something called cheese and onion pie. So Rosie's okay. actually from the UK, so I have no idea what cheese and onion pie is. What so I guess we'll that? have to do some Googling later. Yeah. But that is her that. favorite. It's so funny. Look, onions, all of our recipes have onions. I'm pretty sure that that's like a I think it's, it's like one thing. of the base elements as far it's like as a, cooking. It's a base ingredient. Yeah, that's right. Start, the food pyramid should look different. It should start well, with it's onions. It's funny because two <laughs> weeks ago, there was a lady who writes about different kind of cooking uh, this year in her blog. She came over to my house and we made that. So there's a blog about this that I can send you guys. Oh, you're going to have yeah. to. That's and cool. one of the quotes that I gave her was what my mom always said. If you want something to taste good, put onion in it. If you want it to taste better, put more onion in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's really good. Well, that's a fun oh, icebreaker. Now I'm now. hungry. So you're the co-founder of a company called Brand3. Y'all are a virtual digital marketing agency. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the company, kind of how you guys got started and, and who you're serving today? Sure. So we are a branding company disguised in the word of marketing. And yeah. <laughs> that is who we are. But we realize that branding is not something our customers want. Your branding doesn't hurt, right? It's your marketing that isn't working. It's your marketing mm -hmm. that isn't getting you the results. It's the marketing that you want to fix. Etc. Etc. So we had to drink our own Kool Aid and and come up with messaging and an image for ourselves that invites in our ideal audience who actually wants to fix their marketing. But we firmly believe at Brand Three that the way to fix your marketing is to build a brand that engages an audience, because marketing is you pushing your brand out there, and if it is not connecting with an audience, or if it is not consistent across the board, and you were effective with your marketing material, but you weren't, you know, when they checked you out, they weren't finding the same things. There's a lack of trust that's happening. And, and you know, it is really how we help our customers rethink marketing. So rethink marketing is our disguise world to kind of lure them in and educate them about the power of brand that will make marketing work. Now, how'd you get your start in the industry? Because, you know, there's a lot of us, right? <laughs> so how did you get your start in the world of branding and marketing? As a little girl, I always wanted to be an artist. I uh, won an international drawing competition when I was three years old. Was like, wow, you were killing it. Killing it in three. Yeah, I know. Three years old, right? I drew two bunnies in the grass. But I guess that was pretty advanced for a uh, It was very old. advanced. <laughs> yeah. But I, I kind of knew early on that I'm not a Picasso that can make a living with fine art while I'm alive, etc. Mm -hmm. So I stumbled upon graphic design and I loved graphic design because I love being creative. But also fine art is too vague to me. And graphic design gives me a challenge because it gives me walls, right? The customer has to like it. It has to communicate. It has to be beautiful. It has to be functional. It has to serve a purpose. 
So like I have all these boxes that I'm creating within and I, I enjoy very much the challenge of that. So then as a graphic designer, I met my business partner who was a brand strategist and he used me as his go-to designer for years and years before we put our businesses together. But when I met Matt is when I realized that I've been doing branding because I was always such a stickler about consistency. I was always such a stickler about, you know, having some sort of a base foundation to everything that I do. So it's not just hodgepodge and everything looking different. So that's kind of how it all started for me. And now that I've merged my business with him, I'm kind of almost only doing just creative direction and a lot of brand strategy because I just enjoy this whole alignment. How can we align clarity of message and image with an audience that will actually resonate with that? Yeah, that's that's really cool. So I mean, obviously you have your degree. Is You actually have a bachelor's in graphic design, graphic is that right? Design, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's crazy how much like you start to bridge from like the design branding side to like kind of the full package of what we do and what we offer. My degree is not in graphic design, but I kind of got my start in the industry the same way. Someone asked me to design them a t-shirt and that t-shirt kind of turned into this full brand package. And then that full brand package turned into a website. And before I knew it, it's been almost 10 years and all of the things that we do are so so much wider just than the original design work that I did. So that's, it's really cool to see that your background was very similar. What are some of the big pain points that you guys are addressing when it comes to customers who are reaching out to you? What are some of the challenges that business owners are facing and how do you guys help solve those? Sure. So, you know, usually the primary problem for customers is marketing, right? So they come to us with a bunch of unqualified leads. They're not getting returns. They're spending too much and, and it's just, you know, a waste. And it is because they literally started building a tower and they just skipped the foundation and now they're building the second floor and it's about to collapse, right? Because nothing's holding it up, right? That's kind of what I say to everyone who goes to marketing first before really thinking through what the brand is and what is it that, you know, we should project outwards, right? So... In the past, when I used to be the branding company, you know, we would have a major disconnect. Like, oh, I don't need that. You know, branding is for Nike and Coca-Cola. I'm too small for branding. Or I already have a brand. I have a logo and a website and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's all these misconceptions about what branding is. But branding truly is nothing but a perception. And that perception takes place in the mind of the viewer, right? You present, put something in front of me. I'm going to start formulating thoughts and feelings about it. And I'm going to ask myself, what's in it for me? And if I can't get an answer within like three seconds, then see ya, right? So there's a huge need for clarity, you know, of showing up as something that somebody would desire and to show up to the right people, right? So, you know, like people just market, 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 but they still haven't even gotten the legwork done on who my ideal customer is, right? So, you know, that's kind of the main point that we saw, marketing pain. But brand also resonates internally. So I say externally for marketing, but internally to build a culture. You know, every brand essentially makes a promise that appears on your marketing material. Like, hey, if you walk in this door, we're going to get you here, right? Now you need a, you know, if you don't want to be like a solopreneur for the rest of your life, you know, and you want to grow a business, you need a team who's going to be able to deliver that promise. And, you know, as a business owner, you know, part of our agenda is always to have the team do it like we would do it because, you know, we all start small and then grow. 
But then how does that get encompassed into the brand and how does that help you deliver that promise and deliver it so that your customers have an exceptional experience? So here at Brand3, what we do is not only just look at marketing in silos, you know, but we look at brand marketing and customer experience together and create a plan that's unified and strategic that takes into consideration all of those, right? And to build a brand, sometimes one of the best place business owners can go is to their existing customers. Like, hey, tell me what you like. You know, let me hear your voice. You know, what is it that you perceive us being? And then if you ask 10 customers, you get very similar answers. Or, we, you know, sometimes put in a word cloud those keywords that they're using to describe the organization. And then now we're starting to see what the perception is. And is that truly what we want to be? Does it align with the owner's vision? I mean, you know, it's kind of why I think it's so hard for businesses to do branding themselves, right? Because you're too in it, you know? And my job is constantly being that outside perspective and putting myself in the shoes of your ideal customers and looking at it like, well, would this make sense to me? Would this be something that I would engage with, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So it solves owner dependency. It solves, you know, a broken culture or turnover, you know, because you can build a team that is really, you know, kind of like becomes an ambassador of your brand, right? It solves marketing problems and pain points. So these are the kind of things that you can solve with a good on-point brand. I think there's a lot of business owners who are probably afraid to ask their existing customers what you, they think about you. You know, just because of the fact that like, especially a solopreneur or a or a lean company where they've tried to be everything for everyone for so long, they have probably lost sight of what the customer experience looks like after maybe the initial sale. Because everything's great when everyone's high-fiving and you're first coming on and it's all warm and fuzzy. But then when a customer's been with you for two years, three years, four years, like have you kind of let them go unnoticed and like there's a little cobwebs in the room because you've just not given them the amount of attention and energy that you first did when you first met them and you were kind of in that courting, you know, that courting phase right, of the relationship. And I think that that's scary as businesses to ask those questions. But I think what you said that it solves is the exact reason why we have to step out of our comfort zones and ask those questions so that you can become less dependent. And, you know, there's really a, a very easy way to understand it. You know, even if, so if you have 30 customers, you gotta have two that are your favorites, yeah. you know, <laughs> you just love working with. And sure. we, you know, we, we actually ask our customer like, hey, who is it? Oh, it's Bob. Well, tell me about Bob. Let's learn everything we know about Bob because we need more Bobs. And then I asked this That's question right. like, hey, what would happen to your business if like a hundred Bobs walked in here next year? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. That'd yeah. be awesome. <laughs> well, we need to build a brand that attracts Bob. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Bob is our key person in like, hey, is this right? You know, let's vet yeah. it. Like, you know, Let's yeah. kind of like prototype what we think and then let's show it to Bob and say, is this kind of how we came through for you or solved the problem or got you from here to here? Yeah. Whatever, does this whatever, appeal to right? you? Yeah, exactly. Right. So do not be afraid of asking because, you know, I think, you know, A, first of all, you know, having negative feedback is useful information. 100%. You know, it, it helps guide you like, okay, well, I don't even want to be the brand who holds on to customer for three to four, four years. Because it is going to turn into a cobweb for whatever reason. And, and, you know, my ideal customer stays with me for 18 months. 
or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Right, so, yeah. so, you know, like really y- you can be deliberate, you know? So what I'm telling people all the time is that whether you have thought about it or not, you have a brand because every time you push something in front of somebody, you're going to be perceived somehow. Mm-hmm. But we can be intentional and you can be yeah, deliberate absolutely. about designing that perception and inviting in the people that you want to work with and just avoiding the ones that you don't. Yeah, you that's, know? that's like such good insight because I think that, again, you know, I think some people are afraid to have that critical feedback, but it's so valuable to growing your business and to getting out. I mean, like you said, if, if tomorrow all of the customers were your favorite customer, like... What does that do for your experience as a business owner? What does that do for the culture of the team and how they show up every single day and the yeah. amount of what effort that they put out? What does it do to your bottom line? Right. That's right. You know, because I think customers that are ideal are, you know, probably are pretty profitable because it's easy to serve them. Also, because you're building a team that works out of their heart, right? Yeah. That's right. Versus just being like, oh, it's another thing to do. You always got to remember why you started doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? And when you start doing things that you don't love doing, that's a problem. You know, yeah. that's that's when like, I'm, I'm okay at it, but I'm best at this. You know, it's the same thing with me and branding. I was like always marketing, marketing. <laughs> honestly, when it comes to like tactical marketing, I hate it personally. I yeah. need team members who love that because I don't like it. I love <laughs> yep. branding. I love brand strategy. But branding doesn't sell. It's not the candy that they would go for. It's the marketing candy that they would go for. And I yeah. I needed to like kind of swallow a big one and say, crap, I'm going to be the marketing company as I'm perceived because sure. that's how I'm going to get to meet my ideal customers. You know, 100%. And then the process is educational. And by the time they leave, they will learn the right way to market, which is our tagline, brand three, the right way to market, because I will teach them the right way to market is to have a brand that engages an audience, right? Yeah. So you talk a lot about brand first approach. I mean, really, what does that mean to you? Like, if you could communicate that to someone else, like, what does brand first mean? It means that you don't build your tower on the second floor, you build the foundation first, really. You know, it is the foundation. Brand leads marketing. Brand leads sales, brand leads hiring, brand leads PR. I mean, all of the things that you would be doing, your brand leads. Brand could lead your operations and your uh, business development areas of the business, you know. And I'm going to be honest with you. Ideally, I think you went down the wrong road a little bit, you know, because it's. I think it's harder to brand a startup who has no customers yet, you know, or no experience on delivering a certain type of service or product. So, you know, what is ideal for me is really those refreshes that we have to do. Like, you know, there is something that's working in the business. An ideal customer for me would have an exceptional product or service, but a real shitty brand that doesn't reflect that. You know, my perception is like, oh my gosh, is this like, a mom and pop store from like, uh, I don't know, the boonies or whatever, but you know, the iced is like amazing. And you know, everybody's talking about them and they get five star reviews. But when you look at them, they're like, what? It's so easy to build a brand. That's like, you know, that transformation from like the weird and inconsistent and like, you know, logo appears like stretched here and nine different times. And it's like, 
on the t-shirts it's like this and it's like it's like that on the truck it's like all over the place to brand a business like that and give it a consistent professional looks that actually starts reflecting what's inside reflecting the greatness of that product and service is a mind-blowing experience and you know that's kind of where we wow our customers and then and only then you're ready to go to market yeah that's powerful. and spend money on marketing mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, love I your approach there. Yeah, a lot of people spin fast. <laughs> yeah, because I think a lot of times a small business owner, especially a startup, because it is hard to brand something that doesn't have a client base, they'll just kind of use the shotgun method and just start throwing stuff out there. Instead of defining who it is they're actually trying to reach, they just start throwing stuff out at random and whatever sticks, sticks. But the way that you're approaching branding here, and I think it's sort of the way that we approach branding as well, creating that good foundation is going to give you something to build upon. It's not going to take away from what you're doing. You know, you can take away from your product like the five-star reviews, but you don't see how do they have these good reviews, but the brand isn't there. You know, I think that's awesome. What, I mean, obviously we've kind of gone over a few different pain points. I mean, there's a lot, right? Like you and I could probably talk for days about the pain points that business owners struggle with and even ourselves, right? Like we're, we're not like immune to the challenges that other business owners face. We're human, obviously. But what would you say is like the most important pain point that business owners should maybe tackle first before spending money, before hiring an agency, before, you know, even before designing a logo? I mean, what are the pain points to be solved early on in a business? Yeah. So I think the very, very first step, and that's our first step always, is to define your ideal customer. And the next step after that is to define what they value. You know, businesses make the mistake of talking about themselves all the time. Oh, we're family-owned, 35 years in business. Nobody cares. Well, they care, but first you have to tell them why they should care, right? You know, so if I come to you and say, you know, a branding and marketing firm with 35 years of experience, you're like, Yon, you know, I don't care. But if I tell you, like, learn how to rethink marketing and grow your business, you know, that's much more of speaking to a value that they want, right? You know, like I, I, I value that. I, I want to grow my business. And, and, you know, now you said marketing and that's kind of what I'm struggling with. I'm paying attention, right? So mm-hmm. one of our niche audience is these home professional audience, you know, like they serve residents like roofers or landscapers yeah. and things like that. So typical of them to make the mistake of like, you know, talking about themselves, you know? Yep always talk about themselves but you know for example we had a a a landscaping company they were building exceptional pools like they're beautiful pools but even their name said landscaping and it's like what (laughs) you know so and and you know the owner came in and said you know i want to run an ad in like this high-end magazine and we're like don't do it you're wasting your money nobody's (laughs) right well i'm after the elite market i'm like the elite market is looking at brands like porsche Rolex, mm-hmm. you know, Rada, and you can come in with your, you know, Leaf logo, and then you tell them that you're going to build an exceptional outdoor living space for their backyard. No. Right. Yeah. This is, it's not, you know, there's a disconnect. So we rebranded them, you know, they went from Woodfield Landscaping to Woodfield Outdoor Living, you oh, know, nice. their main pull-in is you deserve an exceptional outdoor living experience. Now, as a lead customer, yeah, I do. I got the money. Yeah. 
you know, I'm started looking at this shitty ass backyard. I want some, yeah, exactly. like, I want paradise. You know, I do deserve I, more. I, I deserve paradise. Yes, exactly. exactly. I work hard. You know, so that resonates with that audience, right? Now, for a landscaper who's you know mows lawns, again, there's there's value points that you can bring. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta go deeper than commodity. You know, yeah, it cannot be about the price because someone can always be cheaper. You know, what else is in it? You know, to me, mowing lawn is like almost like a peace of mind, something that I can like put away because you take care of it. So you know, like let's get a little bit deeper and aspirational in what it means to engage your brand and let's speak it really clearly you know we creatives we love being creative but sometimes it pays (laughs) off being literal you know and even creating identities that you know you can look at it and say oh that's a marketing company because just from the logo you can tell that it's a marketing company or just from the logo you can tell that it's a landscaping company it's important because nobody's gonna give you time you know nobody's gonna sit there and like well let me see if i can spend 25 minutes reading through these paragraphs on this website and figure out what these guys do nobody's gonna do it you have very little time to get attention and that's where clarity comes in and the way you engage is that you elevate value high level stop talking of yourself start talking about what's in it for them and that's how you present a brand that will engage Bob's. <laughs> yeah, that's just spot on. Like I have nothing to add because it's just yeah. so good, you know? And I think that that's certainly like I align with everything you're saying. I love the fact that like, you know, after you define your customer, because like that's the one thing like I think every branding agency can align with. It's like discover who your target persona is, your perfect customer. But what does your customer value? That is the question I feel like a lot of branding agencies fail to ask their branding clients, right? Which is the most important branding question. Because if you want to properly communicate and properly, you know, create a user experience designed and, you know, tailored around your ideal Bob or your ideal customer, then you have to define what they value. I mean, your Porsche high profile client example is perfect example. We we have a great example right now. We're working on a branding job for a real estate agency and she kind of selected her top three logos from a lineup of a few concepts that we had put together. And she had selected these top two and we kind of said, okay, if you really want to go after the high profile clients, one of these is very clearly not the one, you know? And once I was able to kind of like speak to her about that and help her understand that, it was like, oh yeah, you're right. Like she was just thinking like, oh, I think that looks cool. Oh, I think that looks fun. And it was like, yeah, that's great. Like we, of course we want to design some things that we'll still be proud of and appreciate and be drawn to, but we really have to put ourselves in the position of the people we're trying to attract because those are the people that we have to appeal to, not our own self, right? It's just like the website communication. Like it's always well, I want more text on the website about the company and about me and about the the partners and the team members. It's like, like you said, no one really, really cares. Like, what can you do for me? How can you fix a pain point for me? How are you going to help me take my business to the next level? And then once you've earned my trust in that way, okay, now I'd like to learn a little bit more about you guys, right? Yeah, exactly. There's secondary information. You know, maybe if I have three brands in front of me that I'm considering going with and one of them is family owned, I'll go with them yeah. because it's important to me, you know, For sure. but you know, it's, it's very secondary. And I think, you know, putting that out first is the number one mistake that I see 
all the time. Another one is, you know, if you go through this process and really figure out who you are to your audience, right? And then just remember what you said is very true. You're building the brand not for yourself. You're building it for your customers because they are the one who have to engage with it, right? So just keep that in mind all the time. But then, you know, what it also helps is some business owners are so visionary. They're like, oh, I have an idea. And then now, you know, the whole team is finding themselves like running in nine different directions. You know, we're like kind of like, oh, my gosh, we just started this way. Now we're going this way. Now we're going this way. You know, it helps you vet ideas against your promise. So if you come up with a great idea, it might be a great idea, but might be a completely separate business that needs to be tackled down the road somewhere, whatever. Don't try to shove everything in to your business, especially not because it's a trend or people are trying to do it or blah, blah, blah. You know, the relevancy to who you are has to be there. Otherwise, you're diluting your brand with all these extras. And now there is no focal point. There's there's no focus, you know. Also, some of the things that people put in their brand in the, you know, in the very beginning, in that first engagement, it really is like a phase two stuff. You know what I mean? Like for me, I'm really all about just selling discoveries because that's my number one step. I can't do anything. You know, it's kind of like a doctor's appointment. You know, like you're, you go to the doctor and tell them your knee hurts. They're not going to tell you, let's operate. You know, first they're going to examine you. Like, you know, to build a brand, you got to examine what's going on. You got to take into consideration the owner's visions and goals. Then, you know, what the business stands for. And then some of the processes and how they deliver it. Some of the things that customers said, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's an examination process, right? So I'm selling the discovery. 99.9% of the chance is that everybody else is going on to the next step. So, you know, I'm not going to bore or create a proposal and try to like write into all these things because it's just going to blow people's mind. They don't get it. You know, the discovery is my chance to be like, you know, really tailored and allows me to scope the next phase. But it doesn't need to be visible, you know, from the outside. Like, you know, that's they're not going to buy your product for phase two or whatever. I mean, you can I can show end results. I can show outcomes. I can tell that, you know, the landscaping company that had served the elite market went from two million to 10 million within two years, you know. And they were doing the same marketing tactics, but they just went out there with a brand that worked. You know, I can tell those things, but, you know, I don't need to like bore them with all the stuff that's going on because they're not going to get it. It's too complicated. You know, we need to stay high level on a brand image and message and not throwing technical words. Sometimes, you know, IT companies, I see this all the time. They have like, this, you talk about the megabytes and the gigabytes and the whatever, your idea customer is a business owner. They don't understand what you're talking about. That's why they call you they the just first want their, you know, They just want their email to work. You know what I That's mean? Right. So you have to speak marketing language and gear far away from the technical lingos if your market is not able to resonate with that. You know, you're That's losing right. them mm-hmm. right there. Like, I don't know what that means. Moving yeah, we definitely don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's, I love that discovery component because I think this applies, obviously it applies to the world that we come from, the agency agency world and the marketing world, but really it applies to any industry. I mean, obviously just brought up the example with the IT companies, but I mean, it'd be like me going out to a club or to a bar and meeting someone who I thought was attractive and then saying like, will you marry me? It's like, whoa, whoa, like, slow down. <laughs> Breaks. Like you don't, you don't know like 
what are like, how do we see life? Do you want kids? Do you want like, do you even care about marriage? Like, what are your do I hear views on, on politics? Here? Yeah, right. Like it's yeah, that little Donald Miller, brand? right? I think so. That story brand, yeah, that that outline there, right? Oh, he's amazing. We use story brand all the time because it, you know, he really nailed it. He really yeah. nailed it. Like, you know, he's the one who really, I think, simplified, yeah. you know, how how to market with clarity. And then yeah, just right. see that connection. And then, you know, what are the components of it and that dating aspect of like, hey, you know, it takes seven to ten touches before somebody engages. That's right. What do we do? And then, you know, let's give away as much as we can. Miller is really great at that, you know, because he yeah. knows that, you know, he's still going to benefit from it. You know, like it's, it's, let's not, not be afraid of giving away yeah. information mm -hmm. because I think it's valuable information. And what it does is helps you establish yourself as an expert, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And you build a lot of trust in that way too. I mean, I've got clients that And what is the I'm... number one driver for engagement? Trust. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. That's the only, you know, like you show up as an expert and you stop asking for them to do business with you all the time. But you just saying, hey, you know what? If you're having unqualified leads, maybe try this and this and this. And then, mm -hmm. you know, yep. one minute video or 30 second video, little tidbits of valuable information. And next thing you know, we're like, man, these guys really know what they're talking about, you know? Yeah, Maybe exactly. I can call them. That's that's the outcome of those things, you know? I love that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Donald Miller, if you haven't read his book, y'all should definitely check it out. Really, all of his programs are great. I mean, you're right. He simplified so much. Like something people like, like to overanalyze and make so complicated. It's like, it's really not. Let me ask you this. Obviously, with great branding comes great identity. You know, what is the power of identity for brands and businesses. And obviously we get to nerd out on this a little bit more because you have that graphics background. So the identity component, it's important, right? Yeah. So I love the challenge of, and you know, we talked about me wanting to be an artist and how graphic design gives you these walls and boundaries, right? I love the challenge of visual problem solving. You know, an identity is so interesting because how do I create an icon? you know, or, or a name and an icon and a descriptor or tagline co composition that has the power of saying so much about my business and still being extremely simple. Identities cannot be complex. Identities, if they're complex, then they're not retainable, okay? You know, logos that are, you know, simple or they get literally imprinted in people's minds, you know, like the Nike swoosh is a perfect example of that, you know. But here's what I would like to tell small business. The advantage to Nike is the billions and billions of dollars of marketing budget that they have that you don't. Okay. And I believe staying literal, sometimes it's very beneficial for an identity of a small business. Let's say you're a small business and you wanted to call yourself Nike. And then you put under just do it. And then you don't have a marketing budget to like really saturate the market and explain to people that you sell tennis shoes and sports gear. Nobody's going to know what the hell you're doing, right? Not at all. So if you're going to call yourself Nike, at least put, you know, athletic gear underneath. And then right away, I can see that that's athletic gear and I'm not going to go and call you for, uh, you know, a doctor's appointment, right? That's right. Because, you know, I don't know what you do, Right. So, you know, that clarity is really important. And I think, you know, us creatives, we like to be creative. But, you know, can I still be creative and stay literal? Because sometimes I think it's essential when the name 
is so interesting or the name itself doesn't say what it is. Now, the other way around, I have companies that come to me with these really vague names like strategic sales solutions. Well, that's very clear, but it's there's nothing unique about it. How are you going to brand that, you know? So, you know, I would encourage a person with a name of a business like that to get a little bit creative. Also, the market abbreviates. They're going to abbreviate and call you strategic sales or they're going to call you strategic or they're going to call you SSS, which is horrible. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. that's, isn't that the German symbol or whatever it is? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you want to consider your name and stay as short as possible with names, right? If you have a business, like, for example, I have a client called Architectural Materials Incorporated. Everybody calls them AMI. So we just branded them AMI. But guess what they don't do? Architecture. They build doors. So oh. I put AMI complete door solutions underneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, to really explain it. They didn't have that with Architectural Materials Inc. at all. Nobody knew what they were doing. No, it's like the materials makes me think of so many different applications. Yeah. I know. Certainly not doors. Mm-hmm. Certainly not doors. So, you know, that is so important to have an identity that speaks volumes about your business, right? For example, if you only serve commercial customers, I had a construction client but they were getting calls from residential. Oh, can you? I want to do remodeling on my house. Sorry, we only do commercial. Well, we solved that problem by calling them PBI commercial. And then, it, you know, instead of saying commercial construction, we had a tagline, renovate, construct, restore. Restore, renovate, construct. So we do restoration, yeah. renovation, and construction, but only commercial. But it says PBI commercial right there. So all yeah. those residential calls, you know, stopped coming in yeah. right there. So how can you, you know, if you're dealing with unqualified leads, there could be a reason for that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and you can, yeah. you, can, you can build that into identity. One other thing about identity, they don't float around on a white piece of paper by themselves just bumping into people. They always show up in context, right? Yep. So, you know, like you would see it on an ad. You would see it on a website. You would see it on a shirt with a person who is talking to you, blah, blah, blah. So there's context to identity. So, you know, there's room to say more with a really catered headline or whatever, whatever. But I feel like, you know, I should be able to tell just looking at the logo that this is a construction company, that this is a marketing company, that there's categorizing that needs to happen in my brain. So I'm not thinking that, you know, I mean, I had the weirdest name companies like Ingenuity solutions corp or whatever what is that <laughs> like what do, you, what do you guys do what do you yeah. No, are you doing medical consulting legal consulting technology consulting what yeah. do you do so you know like clearing that up is super important you know i don't think businesses really realize how powerful just the name is you know mm-hmm. you know i'll be self-transparent here and say that like we get a hard time with beefy marketing sometimes because people are like beefy like beef jerky or you guys only do marketing for like cattle companies and it's like no like that's (laughs) we do more than that which honestly like our name is good from another side or another angle because it does require a lot of like it's thought-provoking people are like beefy that's fun like what is beefy you know so we get a lot of that as well and so there's pros and cons but it really is it goes to show how important your identity piece of that is, right? Like a company like Beefy Marketing or one of the other examples you shared, a simple tagline on the bottom that says, you know, web design and branding simplifies that because people are like, oh, okay, Beefy Marketing, web design and branding, roger that, I got it. I know what they do. So it could be that simple. 
But even beefy marketing is perfect because I know what you do. You do marketing. Yeah. I'm not going to come to you and ask you to, you know, to fix my shoe. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. And I'm yeah. saying that some businesses have that level of confusion. Yeah. That I really don't freaking know where to categorize your organization. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that architecture one is like the best example there where it's just like architecture materials. The thing I think about is like sheetrock and acoustic materials. And I literally would not have thought about doors in the slightest. So that's a great example. And it wasn't in the tagline. Yeah. Nothing was in the tagline yeah. about yeah. it. You know, it said AMI Architectural Materials Inc. Yeah, that's just too vague. That's way too general, especially since they have a specialty. And, you know, they get calls for like blueprints and all the stuff that they don't do. Like, mm -hmm. And they're like, why are we getting these calls? Weird. It's like, well, because it's your name. I know. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, right. It's your name. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, it's that's funny too. And I won't go like down the rabbit hole, but I'll just mention it. Something as simple as your name also affects SEO. You know, I, I've seen companies that have a company name that when people are searching that keyword, their company is the one always showing up. You know, but then when they get to that website, it's like, oh, this is not what I expected it to be, which means they're going to have a higher bounce rate, which means their click-through rate's lower, which means from an SEO perspective, it's not going to score well. And, you know, name changes can be scary, but even Absolutely. for, you know, AMI, they can be Architectural Materials, Inc., and then just do a DBA, you know? That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have to, like, mm -hmm. you reinvent the meal or anything like sure. that. But, yeah. Or if you went just, and originally they just went Architectural Materials, Inc., they weren't even EMI, you know, but everybody started calling them that. And then they kind of were forced to put that in the logo. So it's like, you know, it's you have to know that if you have a long name, people will abbreviate it. And if they abbreviate it or if you come up with a long name, you might as well do the acronym because they're going to call you that, you know. Yep, absolutely. They're going to call you guys beefy. They will. That's And that's what they call us. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're just beefy. So this has been a great conversation and I feel like we could go yes. on for hours because I, I nerd right. out about this kind of stuff. I know. But obviously we're coming on to our time and I want to be respectful of that. But I am going to put you under pressure for a second. So we have this segment of every episode of the show at the very end where we kind of ask our guest to give us a growth hack. Something that business owners can take away from this episode. If it's only one thing, if they fast forwarded the whole episode and they got left with just the last few minutes, they took away one piece of advice or wisdom from you. I'm going to give you the floor for that right now. Hacks! Okay, this is one word. Okay, when I say the word, a lot of you may think, well, that's great. I, I don't have that or I'm, I wasn't blessed with that skill or whatever. But before I say the word, I'm going to tell you that it's something that everyone can practice, okay? And that word is empathy, okay? As a business owner and as somebody that you're interested in making your marketing work or learning about your ideal customer, one of the best things you can do is have empathy and see. Empathy really means you're putting yourself in the shoes of someone else and seeing it from their perspective. So empathy towards your customers and seeing what they see as you're delivering a service or product. Empathy towards your employees who are delivering that product. Are you asking them too much? Is your promise too high up? Sometimes it makes sense to make the promise a little lower and then just exceed an expectation, you know. But having empathy, I think, will make your ability to lead better, your ability to make decisions better, your ability to see and learn better and hence I think empathy is a key hack 
in order to help your business grow. That is good. Orshi, thank you so much for sharing so much advice with us today. We also had your kitty cat as a special guest, maybe out of frame, but we, I think we got one meow early on in the episode just for you guys. So thank you so much for spending some time with us. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can support you, where they can find you and what you have coming up next. Our website is brand3.net. And if you go there, there's a schedule a call button that goes straight to my calendar. So I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone who wants to learn more. And I'm on LinkedIn. And please put my name because it's a hard name. It'll be in the show notes. We'll put all the yeah. links right in the show notes in the show. Uh, that way you all know what her website is, how to get to it, as well as the right way to spell. Why don't you tell our listeners what your actual name is the proper way without me butchering it? My name is Orshi Herbine. And it's not spelled like that. <laughs> <laughs> not at all thank you so much we will be sure to put that in the show notes and thank you guys for listening to another episode of the show john until next time brother next time thanks guys thank you for listening to another episode of the business growth hacks podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode to get more marketing tips and tricks Follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.